Hey, good morning there, everybody online. We're getting ready to, to start church today. It's our Thanksgiving Eve service. And if you're looking for Summit Church of Castle Rock, maybe you've never been before, this is what it looks like on the road, 4240 North Perry Park Road. There's a big banner by our mailbox, some signs that say Summit Church 1030 with a little pink arrow points to the building. We look forward to having you. Hey, if you're watching online, would you share this link? Pastor Wayne H. everywhere, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram. We're excited to have you on board today. We got lots of fun stuff. We're kicking off our Revelation series. We're having a baptism service. And if you come in person, you'll get to be a part of our potluck. So uh, this is your warning. Get a Bible, get a pen, get a notebook, grab a friend, invite someone to church, or watch right where you are online. And we'll see you in five minutes. This is your five minute warning, everybody. Hey, we'll...
Jesus, we lose the blues. Now, how many still like blues music? Huh? Is it a little like gospel blues? I like some gospel blues. This one goes way, way back to a preacher from Mississippi. His name is Sunhouse. In fact, if you Google this guy, Sunhouse wrote this song. And it's been covered by gospel people, blues people, country people. It's been covered by zillions of people. And it's really easy. The congregational part for this is super easy. I will say, tell me who's that riding. And you go, John the Revelator. Okay? So let's practice real, let's practice real fast. Tell me who's that riding. John the Revelator. Now, if you want to stomp your foot, you can do that. If you want to clap your hands, you can do that too. But uh, we're going to get into it.
Wow, what a beauty. Welcome home, Lily. Good to see so many friends, good friends and old friends, and Mike and Annie from back in the day. So awesome. Let's open with prayer. Father, we are thankful that you have a plan. You're coming again. That we don't have to be afraid of the book of Revelation or any prophecy because we know we win in the end. We know that you only have good plan for those who love you. And so we might go through difficulties, we might go hardships, Lord, but we can trust you. We know that you're gonna see us through every, every dark day and you, we're gonna shine like stars in the universe. That's what the apostles said. So Father, help us to hold on to the hope that we have. That Lord Jesus, you're the one that we're most thankful for on this Thanksgiving holiday. Hear our prayers and our worship now as we lift them up to you as an offering. In Jesus' name. Well, we've got so many wonderful things going on today. I've got a brand new friend I want to introduce you today. Her name is Leilani Khan, and her husband Ben is there in the back. Am I saying all that right? Yeah, so very good. So Leilani is going to lead us in a beautiful song called Revelation Song today. And I'm going to say you have freedom in this church. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to walk around and lift your hands, if you want to pray in the Spirit, whatever you feel comfortable doing, just do it. And let's just turn this into the very throne room of Jesus, okay?
great day with a lot of stuff packed into this service, so we're going to get to the one in your Bible a little early because we're teaching on Revelation and we're doing a potluck and we're baptizing people, so we're trying to keep this, this train on track. Does that sound good, everybody? <laughs> Come on, Mount Tim. Hey, are we doing a favor and move this morning close? Good morning, Summit Church. Glad to see all you here, new and old. I mean, young and I mean, good to see y'all. Uh, I just want to mention real quick, since it is our Thanksgiving, there's a uh, bowl, a wooden bowl of Grata Woods in the back. If you would, take one. It might help you. Uh, if you have any questions, please ask us. Today I'm reading uh, from Psalm 119. And I really want to share this whole thing with you. It, it should be what we all strive for. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instruction of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have, <clears throat> I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Should be everyone's goal, everyone's dream to follow God. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. In fact, will we do that before we stand and sing the next song? Let's um, let's do this little gratitude. We call it the gratitude challenge, the gratitude challenge. What five things that you are grateful for or thankful for this holiday season? Let's say it loud enough for us to hear. What? Sunshine. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Our church. Yeah. Family and friends. Yeah. Safe travel for a daughter from Arizona, right? Starlighting, that was great. Watch Bruce with hundreds of little kids last night all pulling on his beard. That's the real Santa. That's the real Santa. How do you know? You can pull on his beard. He's real. I did it first. That's right. That's right. That was awesome. So this holiday season, let's really keep, you know, Christ and kindness and gratitude the center of everything that we're about. And, you know, um, the other holiday that's come around this time of year by design is Hanukkah, which they call the Festival of Lights. You know, Jesus probably went to something like a Hanukkah, which celebrates the Maccabees, which the revolution of the Maccabees in the Jewish times happened just before Jesus came on the scene. And that would have been a great national celebration. And... Um, this song simply says, light of the world, you came down. Jesus is the ultimate Hanukkah light. Amen. If you want to stand, you can. 
sang this song the day that I was baptized because it's one of my dad's favorite songs. It goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turn turning back the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning None go with me. one more time though I have decided I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back No turning back, no turning back. Yes, Lord, we've made the decision, no matter what this world says or does, 
even if we're threatened by a government or by force or by law to, to try to give up our Bibles or give up our churches or give up our faith, we are never going to turn our back on you, Jesus, because you've never turned your back on us. And they can take our Bibles, they can take our churches, they can take our, they can take our lives, but they can't take you away from us. So we have decided to the wonderful end that we're going to serve you no matter what the devil does, no matter what the world does. We've made our hearts and our minds up to, to have you as the Lord of our lives and we're turning back. Awesome. Man, it's so good to be with you today. Awesome. Would you, hey, would you stand and maybe air five someone or give them a... Uh, handshake or knuckles or a hug, whatever you're comfortable doing today, and we'll get into the word here in just a few minutes. Yeah, maybe at the end. Yep. Yeah, when I baptize. Glad you're watching us online with Summit Church. You can support the ministry by going to our website. Go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button. You can give by texting. Text this number, 303-625-9434, and enter the amount of your gift in the text. Press send and follow the prompts using your smartphone. And 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. Or you can mail your gift to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado. We're going to get into our study of Revelation today. So open your Bible to the book of Revelation. Get a refill on coffee. Share this link with a friend. Everybody, I said happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right, all right. The faster I preach, the sooner we get to the food, everybody. How many of you brought a dish today? Okay, guess what? If you didn't bring in a dish today, we still want you to stay and eat our food. So please stay and eat our food. And we brought more than enough for all of our friends. Like your teachers, how many of you teachers, your teachers said in high school, did you bring enough for the whole class? Okay, yes, you brought enough for the whole class and then some, right? So we are loaded for bear on the food and all that wonderful stuff. I know we have two turkeys. I think this church can put away two turkeys. Turn in your Bible with me today to the book of Revelation. Whoa. Oh, when's the last time you are in church and someone said, turn to the book of Revelation? I know it's been a long time for me. Um... 
I follow some Bible teachers that teach on a uh, regular basis with Bible chapter and verse Bible teaching, but it's not too often. Why is that? Well, pastors are afraid to teach on the book of Revelation <laughs> because it is fraught with controversy. It's fraught with different interpretations. A lot of Christians will fight over what they think some of this symbology and allegory means in the book of Revelation. And a lot of people speak with ardent, fervent, like fervent belief that they know what it means. Well, I am not, I am not arrogant enough to tell you that I think I know everything that, that Revelation means. I, I want to approach the text with humility going, I don't know what these things mean, but I think we'll know it when we see it, <laughs> right? And so Revelation, this is going to be basically our introduction. I'm going to lay some groundwork here. And some of this is going to sound like a lot at first. It feel like a, like a, a rush through Bible college uh, uh, teaching. And, but you need some foundational things before we get into this. Because this is going to take us through the end of the year. I'll kind of have a New Year's message. And by the way, our did you see our new Christmas Eve banner out there in front? We have 5 p.m. candlelight Christmas Eve service on that Friday of Christmas Eve. And then we'll have a normal, regular scheduled Sunday morning after that as well. So make your plans for that and mark your calendars for Christmas. The book of Revelation, what's it about? Well, Revelation is an amazing, colorful picture of Jesus' triumph over every power of the devil. Who wrote it? Well, the, the one that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, the Apostle John. And when did it happen? Around uh, AD 95. So this is after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans. John was exiled to the lonely island of Patmos because of his faith. And of course, many know that he was burned in or boiled in oil, but he survived. So they decided to exile him uh, just as a punishment. And later on, after he was released, uh, he, would, he lived in Rome and visited the churches throughout Asia Minor and Italy. And probably, I don't know if he made, ever made it back to Israel or Jerusalem later in life. He probably didn't. He, I think he probably had folks taking care of him in the local churches. And we know that he was a bishop or a leader of seven churches, which he writes to in the book of Revelation. We'll talk about that today. Um, this book is a grand finale of not only the Bible, but God's view of history. Revelation is sort of a prehistory of the whole world. It's a snapshot of everything that has happened, everything that's happening, and everything that's going to happen. We get an idea of where the earth is going. The breakdown, chapter 1, John shares a vision of Jesus. Chapter 2 and 3 are letters to the seven churches, which we'll cover today. Chapter 4 is the throne in heaven. Chapter 5 through 7 of the seven seals. Chapters 8 through 11 are the seven trumpets. Chapters 12 through 14 are the dragon and the beasts. Chapter 15 and 16 are the seven bowls of wrath. Chapter 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon. Chapter 19, the return of Christ. Chapter 20, the judgment. Chapter 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. And then there's several key concepts that gets repeated over and over again. John says, I write, I saw, there's seven of everything. There's the number seven appears over and over and over again. Um, praise to the Lord. He says, come, the end of the whole book of, of the Bible is just, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That we ought to be really looking forward to Jesus' return. Right? I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I can't wait. It's going to be so good when we finally see him face to face. And we don't just have a picture ahead of who he is, but we're going to see him as he is. Even as he knows us, we're going to know him like that. Isn't that amazing? 
So you can study through the book of Revelation. I advise that you do, especially in this series. It takes about 45 minutes to read through it, so it's a little bit longer read. Some of you are not big readers, <laughs> I would say. Get the audio Bible, get the Bible app, listen to it, okay? And listen to it with an open hand, with an open heart. And I go, I know what this means. I know what that means. I'm like, this, this, is that. Whoa, whoa, just calm down. Just read it. It meant something to the original writer. It meant something to the original churches who received it as a letter, right? And it does mean some things to us that we can apply to our lives. But it never means something to us that it didn't mean to the original hearers. And so that we're going to cover some basics of what's... Now, don't, don't glaze out on me, everybody. But there's a subject called hermeneutics, which is scripture interpretation. A hermeneutics is the study of interpreting the Bible. And the way Bible teachers and pastors and preachers and evangelists get themselves in trouble is they don't do proper Bible interpretation. They impose their opinion on the text. How many of you ever had an argument you were having with someone about God? And you're like, I gotta find a scripture to back myself up. Guess what? That's doing it backwards, all right? We let the Bible tell us its opinion. We don't impose our opinion on the Bible. That makes sense? And a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Christians are doing it backwards. So two basic rules about it. The text cannot mean what it could never have meant to the author or the original readers. That's rule number one. So that, that sorts out a lot of stuff about Revelation already. Number two, in application, God's word, the Bible, which we're going to be studying... It means the same thing as it meant to the original audience. So it doesn't have some hidden secret meaning that we get to crack the code and they, they wouldn't know, we, but we have special knowledge. No, no. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He doesn't change. And so it means what it means. It means what it means in the scripture. It means the same thing to us as it meant to the original hearers. There are transferable principles that we can apply to our lives today, living in 2021, that they heard about when they first read it in 95 AD. Does that make sense? So here's the truth. Scripture interprets Scripture. If I'm confused about a passage, there's something else in the Scripture that will help me interpret what I'm reading if I'm confused about it. Christ is the center of all Scripture. Jesus is what the whole thing is about. <laughs> Christ, God reconciling mankind through himself, through the person of Jesus Christ, is the point of the whole Bible. Jesus at the center of it all. All right? And we interpret the Old Testament through the New Testament. We don't treat the Old Testament as if it's old and dead and has no relevance. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the scripture, I came to fulfill it. So when I read Daniel, read Ezekiel, or I read these other prophetic books, I read them through the lens of the New Testament, of Christ, of what we know about Christianity and the church and what the disciples knew. Make sense? So if we get confused, it's not God's fault, <laughs> and it's not the Bible's fault for being you know, too nebulous or cloudy. No, no, we just have to search the scriptures because the answer is in there. Then we have to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and we have to do proper her hermeneutics. We don't impose our opinion. We let the Bible tell us what it means. Amen? Ooh, little man. I'm, 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 see, do you feel the landmines? I'm just tiptoeing around every landmine. Can you see? I'm good. I'm like Fred Astaire, dancing around the landmines, everybody. Cleared it. I just cleared that. I just cleared a whole field of landmines behind me. 
<laughs> and if you've ever studied Revelation before, you know I'm right about that. And so the approach I'm going to take with Revelation these next several weeks is we are going to read the book out loud, right? Sometimes I'll have you actually reading passages, and we are going to let the Bible speak for itself. And if we know what something means, we'll say, hey, we know what it means. If it's a matter of opinion and it's debatable or disputable, we'll say, we don't know exactly what this means, but we'll know it when we see it, right? So there's four views about... Revelation in particular, but I, I've been reading this commentary called Haley's Commentary. He writes this amazing truth about approaching the text with humility. Here's what Haley says. He says, a thing that strikes one who grouses around the vast literature about the book of Revelation is the utter dogmatism. Like, I know, I know, this is the rule. I made up my rules about Revelation. This is how it is. The utter dogmatism which, with which so many people put forth their opinions not as opinions, but as a categorical statement about the meaning of even the most obscure passages. If they know all about it and, and their say-so settles the matter, right? As if the, like their opinion is the end of all debate about what the Bible means. Well, you know you're, you're listening to a, a poor Bible student and a poor Bible teacher when they speak as if they know that they know that they know and it's their, it's their way or the highway, right? And so as we think in a spirit of reverent humility and open-mindedness would be more becoming in those seeking to interpret what this book is or what it's like or what it's speaking to. There are four interpretations, the four different kind of schools of thought when you read the book of Revelation. The first view is the idealist view, or you could call this a symbolic or spiritualizing view. Is it because, you know, this is all metaphor. You're just supposed to try to apply this to your life. Interpretation separates the book entirely from any reference to historical events, whether those were of John's day or those of the time of the end. It spiritualizes and metaphorizes and spiritualizes everything. It's just a picture. And again, you get in trouble because then you start making up what you think the picture means. No, no. If the text doesn't say, you don't get to impose the meaning. So we can't super spiritualize Revelation and just go, oh, it's just that we don't, it's a mystery. It's just super spiritual. It's above our heads. No, God wants us to know. If, if he didn't want us to read it, he wouldn't have put it in the book. <laughs> right? The second view is what they call the preterist view. It's an interpretation regards the book as referring entirely to its own day. This would be... Uh, those who have a very rigid idea of Bible interpretation. Christianity struggled with the Roman Empire. It assumes that everything was fulfilled during the period it was written, that the story was told with imagery and symbolism to hide its meaning from the late first century pagans. And there probably are some things written in code in the Bible to protect the early church. Like we studied that last, last week with 2nd and 3rd John. He's like, read the, the lady of the church. Didn't say her name, but we know there was someone there that he was saying hello to, right? There was some guarded language. The preterist view, though, discounts anything that, could, that the Bible could be interpreting or warning us about in the end times. The next view is the historical interpretation. Now, this is a prediction of the whole period of church history, from John's time to the end of the world, sort of a panorama. And people begin to spiritualize, oh, this describes in the, the church age up to this point, but it's not predictive in any kind of way. It is all just kind of a metaphor about church history. Well, 
I don't, I don't hold to the historical <laughs> view myself. I don't hold to the idealist view. I don't really even hold to the preterist view. The, the, the view that I hold to is the, the final one. It's called the futurist interpretation. It centers on the book largely around the time of the Lord's coming and the end of the world. This interpreta interpretation holds that most of the book reveals events that are yet to be fulfilled. And most evangelicals would look at the book of Revelation, oh, this is predictive. This is lining out he says, as it was in the beginning, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There are things that we can look to. There's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. There's going to be the man of sin. There's going to be the Antichrist. There's going to be ten kingdoms and ten kings. There's going to be one who's really bad, who's going to try to take over the whole world and get control financially, uh, governmentally. He's going to even crave the worship of people. He's going to want the whole world. He's going to want the whole enchilada. He's going to want all the money, all the power. He wants everything to himself. And of course, who do you think is behind that plan? Right? Well, that's like the church lady used to say, Satan? Right? It's pretty easy to tell that this is not a plan that comes from God. This is something the enemy's doing in his last desperate attempts to wage war against God's kingdom. And so I love what uh, another one of my studies, I've been reading Tim LaHaye. Uh, anybody read the Left Behind series? It's a fictionalized version of the end times, what it might look like, what, how these, possible, these things could possibly unfold. And LaHaye gives us some good reasons for studying the Bible. And he goes, um, he says these things about why should we do it? Like, this is so pointless. Why am I studying Revelation? This, what does this have to do with my life today? Why does a Christian have to read and study the book of Revelation? Well, number one, prophecy acquaints us with the most important subject of the ages, God's plan for man, for you and me. He's got a plan. Number two, studying, studying Bible prophecy convinces us that there really is a God. You know that Jesus has already fulfilled over 300 prophecies about himself? So prophecy isn't some mystical thing that's just a fairy tale. It's really, literally true. These things really happened. Daniel Hundreds of years, or at least 70 years before the return of Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem, he predicted that Cyrus would be the man by name who would send Israel back. Cyrus wasn't even born yet. Didn't even have a name. But Daniel had a name, he had a place, he knew how they'd be returned back. How do you explain that one? Fourthly, the study of prophecy prepares the Christian to avoid the deceptions of the many false prophets that are arising in our day. And there are false teachers. There are people who are not studying the Bible. In fact, they bring their Bible up on stage, but they never open it. <laughs> All they do is tell cool stories and sing some great songs and maybe lay their hands on a few people and walk out the door. Well, that's not, that's not this church. <laughs> We're going to study the Bible. Amen. Number five, the study of prophecy promotes a, an evangelistic church. It gives us an urgency to tell people about Jesus. Like, hey, he's coming soon. You better get right with God. He's made a way for you to know him. All you need to do is just turn to him and live. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. I want you to take charge be the Lord of my life. When we see that these things really, truly will happen, we better be ready. And if we care about our loved ones, family members, neighbors, and friends, we're going to tell them about the Lord. Even if it's awkward, even if it's like, I'm scared, get, get over yourself, because it ain't about you anyway. Amen. It's about him, and them knowing him. Wouldn't it be better 
to deal with a couple minutes of awkwardness rather than spend eternity in hell without Christ? Like, if I was about to walk off a cliff because I wasn't paying attention, I would be grateful for the guy who said, hey, hey, look out, man, you almost fell off. What are you doing? I wouldn't be mad at me. How dare you tell me not to walk off the cliff? I'm offended. No. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Number five, or number six, the study of prophecy tends to purify the believer. Because over and over again, we see what kind of church he's coming back for. A glorious bride without a spot or wrinkle. Holy, righteous, submitted to God, walking in faith, walking in love. It kind of makes me want to go, ooh, yeah, Lord, I do want to, I want to change some of the way I talk. I want to change some of the things that I've been saying. I want to change my mindset. Lord, help me to be more like you. Help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to be more loving. Help me to forgive people when they, when they make me angry. <laughs> Lord, I want to be like Jesus. Amen? And when I real that prophecy is real, and Jesus is coming, and he could come at any moment. It's, it's kind of like this one movie said, is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Like, Jesus could be coming back. Is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Hmm, if the answer is no, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Right? Number seven, prophecy offers confident hope in a hopeless age. We're living in hopeless times. People are like, oh, it's bad, and it's just getting worse, and I can't believe it, and oh, we're just going to hell in a handbasket, and I don't know what we're going to do. All the hand-wringing, oh, God. No, no, listen, you're not in charge anyway. He's the one who's in charge. <laughs> All you can do is say, God, help me, strengthen me, give me peace. So are you ready? Let's get into chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation he says, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I highlighted this in my Bible, verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. And then John sends his greeting um, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. It says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, the ruler of all things, of all the world, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his, for God his Father, all glory, power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. He comes with clouds of heaven. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. And I am the Alpha. This is Jesus now. It's in quotes. If you have a red letter Bible, this is in red. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Verse 9, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was 
worshiping in the spirit, suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. I, it, it said, write in the book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Now picture a giant menorah. In fact, a menorah so large you could walk inside of it. Seven gold lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, at, at his, his, I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But then he laid his right hand on me and me and, and said, "Don't be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and the grave." Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars. You saw my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars and the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And if you want to see where these churches are, it's if you look at the west coast of modern-day Turkey, this is what was called back in the day Macedonia, right? And if you can see the world map, there's the boot of Italy right there, there's Greece. And right on the, on the west coast of what is Turkey today is Macedonia. Ephesus was the capital. And then there were these other seven churches spread abroad and probably he walked that route. John and his and fellow preachers would go to each of these cities, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, whatever they did. Right? We, did, we don't even have accounts of some of the ways in which these churches became churches. And he became the leader, the apostle, the bishop of these churches. And he was writing a letter to each of these churches. Now, we could, we could read each of these letters word for word, but I'm not going to do that to you today. But I am going to read highlights of each of these letters and help you understand how these letters work. Of the seven letters of these, to these churches... Uh, three of them were corrections or even a rebuke. Like, you do, you're messing up here. You're not doing this right. Jesus talking to the dirt. Hey, no, no, no. Right? And two of them, he didn't say anything. He didn't say good or bad. He just greeted them. Right? And two of them, he praised their efforts, their works as the church. So this letter, of course, is to Ephesus, to the, the church at Smyrna. He says, you're poor, suffering, you are a suffering church, facing many, um, even martyrdom. These are the words of him who was first and last, who died and came back to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Smyrna received no condemnations or correction. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful even unto the point of death. I will give you the crown of life, and he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He writes another church. He writes to Pergamum. And this is a church that tolerated teachers of immorality. In fact, there were, there were people who were coming into the church saying, you know, the things that are spirit are totally spiritual and that's totally separate from your flesh. So you can sin as much as you want in your flesh 
As long as you believe in Jesus, you can sin as much as you want. How I many of there are people teaching that even now? People who think that even now. That's not true. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all. Not just my spiritual part. He's Lord of my body, my mind, my will, my emotions, my soul. He, get, he gets all of me. Lock, stock, and barrel. Amen, somebody. Right? It's not that you're going to do this perfectly, but he owns all of us. And so he says to this, uh, to the church in Pergamon, these are the words of him who is, has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And I'll explain what those are in a minute. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will find and, and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and the white stone with a new name written on it. God's going to give you a name that only you and him know. Isn't that amazing? You're gonna, Jesus is going to give you a nickname, and it'll be a secret between you and him. How many have I have a secret with Jesus? Right? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Well, who are the Nicolaitans? There was Nicholas, according to church history, he was one of the deacons that was ordained at the same time as Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. And some people believe, according to church history, that Nicholas got caught up in this teaching with the Gnostics. These are people who had, a, they would say they had special knowledge and a mystical interpretation of Jesus that he didn't really come in the flesh. He was just, he only looked like he was really here. It was a, it was a projection, like a spiritual projection. And he, he got sidetracked into this idea that you could sin as much as you want in the flesh, but you... <laughs> but as long as you were spiritual, it didn't matter if you got drunk, if you slept around, or if you did whatever you wanted to do. Hey, Jesus, this, it's under, all under the blood, man. No, no, no. And we know, a lot, we know a lot about Nicholas. He was a part of that first council that approved the first canon of Scripture. And some people think that Saint Nicholas was the namesake of the original Nicholas. If you know anything about the original, uh, Saint Nick comes from Italy, who used to go door to door delivering presents, and then the Dutch got a hold of it, and they saw, started calling Sinterklaas, or Sinterklaus, or Sinterklaas, or an American Santa Claus, right? And that harkens back to um, Saint Nicholas. And many believe that the Nicolaitans would wear red because they would separate, they would celebrate Bacchus, the Roman god of revelry. They get drunk, and they, you know, red is a, that's a party color, right, everybody? Yeah, so, so many people think that's why, that that's, that's, harkens back where some of that comes from. And it's okay, it's okay for us to have Santa Claus, right? It's okay for us to celebrate the good things about the kingdom, and many Americans, it doesn't, none of this stuff means that to them, right? So we, we might have our own traditions that harken back to pagan times or to mistaken roots, but we can celebrate Christmas for all it is, and we can be generous and understand that people don't know where some of these things come from, and it's, it's okay. You know, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year where we can celebrate generosity and peace on earth and joy and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So God doesn't want us to get caught up in legalism and not to condemn other people for, for what, you know, where things come from. The church of Thyatira 
this is the church that's growing in zeal, but tolerating Jezebel. And again, this is this false prophet, false teacher who is in the church. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance. Nevertheless, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. To you who do not hold to her teaching, hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations and also the morning star. To the church in Sardis, Christ says, it has a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. He says, these are the words of him who holds to the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Sardis received no condemnation or correction. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. He who overcomes will be dressed in white. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. To the church of Philadelphia, and of course we have a we have a city named Philadelphia in America, right? What's this, what's Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. Yeah, that's what it's known for. Well, in it, it its reputation, revelation is that it's a humble and faithful church. In quotes, Christ says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds to the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphia receives no condemnation. Con condemnation. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And the final letter of the seven letters, I think this is most like the American church, is the church of Laodicea. It's the lukewarm, rich church. Lukewarm and rich. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like American Christians in large part? Fat and sassy and happy and, oh, God, maybe I'll be there, maybe I'll do it. Oh, man, have you seen my new boat? It's amazing. <laughs> Praise God, I got a boat. I guess. Does it keep you away from church? Maybe not. Praise God for the vote. He says, these are the words of the amen. Jesus, again, in, in quotes, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Laodicea received no condom, co commendation. It's not praised for anything. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you're either one or the other. He said, you make me sick. You're like cold coffee. Bleh. Now, if you've made it cold on purpose with ice, it's better, right? Or if it's piping hot, where it almost burns your tongue, you're like, ooh, ooh, it's good coffee. But it's like room temperature coffee. Bleh. Right? That's what Jesus says. Your spirituality makes me sick. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you just did it like halfway, I'm like, ugh, gross. That's not who I'm coming back for. That's not the kind of believers I want. I wish that you were either totally on fire for me or just run away from me so that you'll know when you've gone too far and you come back. Right? But when we live in a lukewarm Christianity, we're in a dangerous place. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So be earnest and repent. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And thus, he closes each letter with an admonition from the Lord, warning the churches that they had better take seriously what he is saying to them. We all need to.
to listen. We need to have listening ears, listening hearts to read the Bible and go, yes, Lord. I might not like it. <laughs> I might wish it didn't say that. I might not feel like obeying, but I'm going to obey anyway. You know, Jesus loves you. He loves me. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't correct us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care. He'd be like, yeah, do whatever you want. No, no, he, he loves you enough to go, hey, knock it off. I love you. What are you doing? You're poking yourself in the eye with a fork. Wait, just stop it, stop it. We don't, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. No, no. I love you too much to let you do that to yourself. That's what sin is, right? We're hurting ourselves and go, oh, I just really love the, the eye fork poking. Man, that's my favorite. Like, I'm addicted to it. No, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. That's what sin is, though, right? It's like, oh, I just have this tendency. I just got to do it. It's like, don't you know you're killing yourself? <laughs> we don't see it that way, though, right? Because we're like, oh, it's harmless. Uh, it's okay. Uh, God, will, God will forgive it. I, you know, that's just the way I am. It's just my temper, you know? I just drink a little too much. I just cuss, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, we just wash it away. Go, I just do, but he loves me anyway. Yes, he does. He loves you so much. He takes you the way you are, but he doesn't let you stay that way. He wants you to grow. <laughs> he wants you to be more like him. When you get Jesus, he starts to put the Holy Spirit inside you. And you start going, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I think I'm done with that. That's not who I am. That's not who I am anymore. That's not who I want to be. And Jesus, he makes this statement in chapter 3, after, and I want to read it, where it, we, we quote it all the time. It's chapter 3, verse 20, after he talks about them being rich, and, but they're truly poor. Verse 20, he says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door... I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. We're going to have potluck here in just a minute. Right? And that's what Jesus wants to have with you. Communion, friendship, fellowship, sitting down. Let's have an understanding. I get to know you. You get to know me. And we walk together. How many want to have that with God? Guess what? He wants it more than you do. Just come. So we'll share a meal together. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And that's the study for today. We're going to get into some crazy stuff in the weeks ahead. And... Let me know if you're interested in being a reader. I want at least four readers in some of these passages. We're, I'm not going to even do any application because it's like, how do you apply this one? This is crazy. We're just going to read it. Okay, we're just going to read it and say, Lord, give us understanding. Help us to recognize it when these things happen because I'm not going to pretend I know what some of these things mean. We're going to just read them. And the Bible says there's a blessing for us when we read them and when we listen to them. Make sense? So, Maybe you've come here today or you're watching online today and you know you're not right with God. We've heard about you know, Jesus coming back again, a rapture of the church. There's coming a day. We don't know when. We don't know the day or the hour. 
but there's going to be a trumpet blast heard around the world. Everyone will hear it. Now, a lot of people won't know what it is, and that trumpet blast is going to be followed by graves bursting open and dead bodies being put back together and disappearing off the planet in the twinkling of an eye. And that's pretty crazy, right? That is, how do you cover that one up with fake news? That's a tough one to cover up, right? And then shortly after that, living Christians are going to be raptured. We're taken up into the air to meet the Lord in the air. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. There's been lots of speculation about it. Some people think that all there'll be is a pile of clothes, that God's just going to take our bodies and leave our clothes. I don't know if that's true. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. That's speculation. Some people think their fillings will stay. Like if you have gold fillings, they'll be on the ground. They'll be sitting on the chair. The cars will just go off the road because the Christian will be raptured out of their driver's seat. Could be. I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's going to be chaos, though, for a few days when all the dead are taken, when all the living believers are gone off the planet. Are you ready? If Jesus came today, would you go? Would you be? Would you be there in the air with us, heaven, in, in, the, uh, in the clouds, having a Jesus dance party? Would you be there with us? I hope so. But if you say, I don't, I, I, I don't know, then you won't be there. He's like, I hope so, maybe. Nope, you're not going if you don't know. How can you know? How can you know that you will go when Jesus comes back? Well, have you confessed your sin to him? Have you, have you given him permission to be the Lord of your life, for him to take charge? If you've done that, then you know. Because then he starts working on you. He starts knocking off the rough edges. He starts standing you like, wow, ow, Lord, ow, ow, Lord, wow, okay, okay, okay. Come on, you ever been corrected by the Holy Spirit before? That's what he does to Christians. That's how you know you belong to him. He starts, he starts working on you, and you're like, okay, God, okay, I love you, yes, I'll, whatever you say, Lord. But if your answer is not whatever you say, but no, I'll do it my way, and hopefully, God, you'll endorse it, you ain't going, because he's not the Lord. You see, God created us to be with him to have friendship, to have fellowship with him, but our sins separate us from God. Our attitude of, no, it's my way first, God, that will not get you there, and he's not coming back for people like that. Sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds. You can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad things you've done. That's man's religion, but that is not spirituality in Christ. Paying the price for your sin and mine, Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. And because he lives, we get to live. And that life that you get from Christ begins the moment you finally surrender. Say, yes, Jesus, I want you. Come in. Take charge, Lord. I made a mess of things. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be one of your kids, to be one of your sons or daughters. And when you pray that kind of prayer, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's a dangerous prayer. All of a sudden, you start having this, these feelings you never had before. You start having these this desires and appetites. You're like, I want to start reading the Bible. Really? You never had any interest in the Bible before. You want to read the Bible now? 
Wow. I think I'm going to slow down on the drinking. In fact, I might even stop drinking. Whoa. Whoa. Good for you. What changed? <laughs> oh, there's, I'm under new management. <laughs> I got a new owner now. <laughs> I'm letting Jesus have all of me. Every decision, everything I say, I want him to be the Lord of my life. Well, we're going to baptize two people in this tank here today, and it's not too late. If maybe you prayed a prayer like that, or you've been living with God kind of, you know, on the peripheral, but maybe you haven't been baptized since you said yes to Jesus. Well, we have everything you need today to be baptized. I have a whole stack of towels. I'm going to show all my stuff in here. Oh, it's, it's behind me? Okay, there's a big stack of towels. You go, but my hair, my hair will be all messed up. I've got hair dryers. I've got, I've got hair gel you can live in. Like, I've got gym shorts you can change in and get wet and get dumped and still look nice for the potluck, everybody. No excuses. If you've never, I've got t-shirts that say, I got baptized at Summit Church, right? In all different sizes. So you're like, I've never been baptized since I believed. Today's your day. You can get it in the tank with Anne and Carl, and it's going to be amazing. If you guys want to get ready, go ahead and get ready. I'm going to lead a simple prayer of committing your life to Christ. And you can know, you can know that you're going to go when Jesus returns. And you might say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get baptized today. I'll just do it. When John was baptizing people on the River Jordan, he didn't say, take a class. Uh, join, a, join a church first. Get out. Who's your rabbi? I want to know who your rabbi is. Then I'll let you know. He just said, get in the water. Repent. Be baptized. So if you're ready, you could be baptized today. But church, let's pray this prayer of commitment to Christ for those who might be watching or if you're in the room. In fact, bow your heads, close your eyes today. If you would honestly just say, hey, I, I don't really know. I don't know that if Jesus came back today that I would go. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. But I do want to just give you a chance to say, to make that confession. Say, I want, I want to profess Christ as my Lord from this moment forward. Lift your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Awesome. If you're doing it online, just give me a like or give me a share or just comment. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know that when he returns, I'm going. Awesome. Thank you. Church, let's pray this prayer of commitment to Christ. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Please be my Savior. And be my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's turn this thing around because we're gonna we're gonna do some baptism at least and do some video. Can I get a hand with a couple guys? Can a couple of you guys help me move this pulpit? It's kind of heavy. That's why I asked for help here, just so that people can see online who might be watching or watching later. And we'll just you want to move on either side. I just want to, I want the visual to be clear so people can see the tank. Very good. Alright, if you would like to be baptized, like I said, we've got the, we've got all the stuff. And, um, uh, yes, if you, yeah, if you will, that'd be great. Awesome. So, 
If you'd like to be baptized, let us know or come up and grab the stuff and you can make the change. Carl and Ann will be up here in a minute. And we're going to start singing here. Guys, while we do, put this in a place that's more photogenic. I was in college, 
It was actually at a, like a midnight church service, and I will never forget. Yeah, and life's been a lot different since then. It has, but you know, I've had ups and downs. I've had times when I've walked a little bit more closely <laughs> with the Lord than others. But now, I, mean, I was baptized as a baby and have not been baptized at a time when it was my decision and not my parents' decision. Yeah, that's awesome. Any, any testimony or story that you want to share that you feel like is a blessing to the church or that other people could would inspire their faith? That's hard. I think that we go through so many different things in our lives. If we only reach towards the Lord when we're in our worst moments, then we're not really there yet. We need to reach both high and low all the time. And we have discovered that we have not always done that. So I think we need to be aware, just truly aware, of our walk with the Lord. Alright, and you turn your you turn your back on sin, you turn your back on the devil. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> alright. Awesome. So I'm gonna have you sit on one end of the tank and then you're just gonna lean back in, alright? So you gotta so come on sit in. Where? So <laughs> you can kind of sit cross-legged style with your feet this way, and so that you're so we can just lay you back. Cross-legged right? style. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Here, Lily. Like this? Oh, just come in. Yeah, come in. Put your feet in. Put your feet put in. Put my feet in. Yep, oh, yep. Because I'm going to lay you back. Bad. There you go. No, it's not. We didn't put ice in it. It's not an ice bath. Yeah. I was ready for it to be ice. All right, can you sit down? Then? I can sit down. Okay. Do you want me to do this? Yeah, that'd be great. Good. Can everyone see okay? Maybe we just move this one off to the side. Because we might do some screenshots and capture. I'll bring it closer, though.
probably have a lot, but I just probably not right now. Okay. Right. <laughs> yes. It's a little scary. Right? Yeah. You do know the potluck. You renounce the devil in all his ways? I do, I do. Amen. All right, well, you can get in the tank. We'll do the same thing here. We just sit in one end.
so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. 
You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.